Well, if you would turn with me to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we will be reading the entire psalm. This is the word of God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then, should, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you desire truth in the inward parts. Help us to know wisdom. Open our hearts to your words. Soften our hearts to you. Here we are, your people. You are truly high and mighty. Here we are, Lord. Guide us by your word. And Father, open my mouth that it may show forth your praise. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed that the sermon title and your outlines and the one in the bulletin are different. And they are different because... In the ninth hour of preparing this message, I realized, or rather I believe, it was impressed upon me, put on my heart, that one of the subpoints I was preparing to bring to you really 
just needed to be the entire point. It needed to be the whole point. And the whole point of this sermon is this, that a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Now the reason this was impressed upon me and why I believe this is so important, why I wanted to focus it on this morning is first, I believe there's no lukewarmness in God. I believe he either holds something in contempt or something is fully acceptable to him. And I believe that anything but a broken and contrite heart is contemptible to God. Thought is a terrible thing indeed to be held in contempt by God. And I do not want that. Conversely, and as we shall see, the broken and contrite heart isn't just not held in contempt by God, it is cherished. God loves a broken and contrite heart. And just the thought of being cherished by God stirs up joy. So that is why we're talking about brokenness today, about having a broken and contrite heart. That is having a heart that is broken of its rebellion, sorrowed over its sin, softened to God and returned to God. This morning we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about our need of a broken heart first. We're gonna talk about the elements of a broken heart or evidences of a broken heart or heart response to God. And we're gonna talk about the great and wonderful benefits of having a broken heart. So first, our need of a broken heart. Well, the first and chief need of a broken heart is this, that without it, we will be destroyed. You see, scripture teaches us that there are two conditions of the heart, two options for the condition of our heart. Our hearts can either be hardened to God, hardened against him in his word, embittered against his righteous judgments, repelled by his holiness, pridefully seeking to place itself above him, and to cast God off, and therefore despised by God and prepared for destruction. Or our hearts can be softened to God and his word, drawn to his righteousness and holiness, humbly seeking to live in submission to him, and enjoying a right and beautiful and cherished relationship with him, and therefore cherished by God and prepared for glory. Now it is the work of the Lord to break the heart of an unrepentant sinner. We know this. We understand this. None of us would have our hearts softened to God were it not the work of the Holy Spirit. However, we do need to understand that we still bear the responsibility for the condition of our hearts. And we must take heed lest our hearts found to be hardened against the Lord. See, scripture teaches us that a hardened heart is a stubborn heart. 
It is stubborn. It is obstinate against God and against his salvation. A heart stubborn against such a wonderful thing offered to us, salvation. Zechariah 7.12 says, Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent his Holy Spirit, sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Scripture teaches us that a hardened heart is full of evil imaginations and darkness. As it says in Romans, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkness, darkened. It is a heart that is deceitful and subject to be deceived. As it says in the prophet Isaiah, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him, him aside and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? That is the condition of a hardened heart, deceived and deceiving. A hardened heart is a heart that would rather gather iniquity to itself than gather anything good. It is a heart that turns away from God and towards sin. It is a heart that resists the Holy Spirit but gives place to the devil. And in short, it is a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, according to Jeremiah. And this is the natural condition of our hearts, save the work of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, let not our hearts be counted as stubborn against the Lord. Let not our hearts be counted as being full of evil imaginations, as being deceiving and deceived, as fleeing from God, but rather let them be found broken in fleeing towards God. So this is our first great need of a broken heart. That without it, we will be destroyed. Without it, we will not even seek God. We will seek to flee God and in so doing be destroyed. Our second need of a broken heart then, which I mentioned briefly, that without it, we will not flee to God, nor can we approach God. We can have no communion with God. For a hardened heart is a proud heart, and God opposes, resists, he actively fights against the proud. A prideful heart is so hotly contested by God because, as the Puritan Thomas Watson said, pride seeks to ungod God. And God will not suffer such rebellion. Scripture says plainly that everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. That is from Proverbs 16. You see, pride is the antithesis to humility, and it is the antithesis to a right relationship with God. It is the antithesis of closeness to God. 
The Psalms say that for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, the proud, he knows from afar. Let us not be known from afar by God. I want to be close to the Lord. I want you to be close to the Lord. The Lord is the high one. He will not suffer any attempt at self-loftiness. The proud will be kept at a distance from him. But the lowly and brokenhearted he will regard. Thomas Watson also said this. He said that pride is a spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. Thank you, Brother Jared, for pointing that out. That um, when we have our hearts towards ourselves, we are worshiping ourselves and we are not worshiping the Lord. We are to be pointing to God, not worshiping ourselves. Without a broken, humble heart, we will become as blind, drunken self-worshippers, scorning our Creator. And as it says in Proverbs, toward the scorners, he that is God, towards the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. So without a broken heart, we cannot approach God because the proud heart is desperate, despised and rejected by God. To the humble heart, rather, God gives favor. Let us watch, therefore, and let us stand guard against any shred of pride in our hearts, submitting it to the cross and humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord, receiving the promise that it is God who will lift us up not we ourselves, it is God who will lift us up. So, the first great need we have of a broken heart is that without one we will be destroyed. The second great need we have of a broken heart is that without one it is impossible for us to approach God, approach God. rather we would rather flee from Him and he actively resists the proud. It is impossible for us to approach God if he is actively resisting us. And our third need of a broken heart is that without one, it is impossible to please God. So let us understand that our sin is displeasing to a holy God. Yet all of us would gladly continue in it would gladly dis continue displeasing a holy and just God and incurring wrath were it not for a broken heart. Of, of those with a hardened heart, Scripture says this, that their feet run to do evil. Pastor John Bunyan, speaking of this, however, he points out he points out that as a broken limb lames the runner, so a broken heart lames the sinner. Bunyan says this, 
Why is the breaking of the heart compared to the breaking of the bones? But because as when the bones are broken, the outward man is disabled as to do what it was wont to do. So when the spirit is broken, the unward man is, disa is disabled as to what vanity and folly it before delighted in. This then is to have the heart broken, namely to have it lamed, disabled, and taken off by sense of God's wrath due to sin from the course of life it formerly was conversant in, and to show that this work is no fancy, nor done but with great trouble to the soul, it is compared to the putting of the bones out of joint, the breaking of bones, the burning of bones of fire, or as the taking of the natural moisture from the bones, the vexing of the bones, etc., all of which are expressions adorned with such similitudes as do undeniably declare that to sense and feeling a broken heart is a grievous thing. And thank the Lord that it is, because the sum of it is this, that without a broken heart, we would gladly run as far away from our gracious and heavenly Father as we could. Without that pain, that brokenness, we would gladly run towards sin as quickly as we could. But praise God that in his grace, he lames our sin with brokenness of heart. For a hardened heart God will despise, but a broken heart he will cherish. And how gracious is it of our loving Heavenly Father that we who would gladly continue to rebel against him, gladly continue down the highway to our own destruction, how gracious is it of him to lame our sin. For the hardened of heart are destroyed, but the broken of heart are restored to life. The hardened of heart are cast down, cast away from the presence of God. But the broken, broken of heart are lifted up and brought into his presence. The hardened of heart would rather be destroyed and would rather cast, be cast away from God than to submit to him. But God in his mercy lames the leg that was running from him, lames the arm that was raised against him in rebellion and gives that poor, lamed, rebellious wretch for that is who we are. The very thing that it was impossible for us to have on our own the very thing that God cherishes, a broken and contrite heart. And may it be so in each of our lives. So far the need of our broken heart. And the graciousness of our Heavenly Father for giving us what we need. And the promise to know that every true son God chastises. And very well you may be saying, you've convinced me I have great need of a broken heart. I have great need of it because without it, I am undone. I have great need of it because without it, I cannot come into the, the presence of God. Rather, I willfully free from him. I am in great need because without it, I cannot please God. There's nothing in myself I can do to please my Holy Father, very well I need a broken heart. But what is it? 
What is the measure of a broken heart? You see, a broken heart is not just one that feels guilty over sin, although that is a component of it. It's kind of the difference between feeling conviction and actual repentance towards God. There is a response toward God of a broken heart. A heart broken of rebellion, a heart sorrowed over its sin, softened to God, has a heart response to God. So what are some of those responses? Well, I would like to give you 10 out of Psalm 51. There are a great many more we could mine out of this great penitent psalm, but I have 10 for you this morning. And the first is this, the first evidence of a broken heart, the first heart response that we have towards God when he has broken our hearts is that a broken heart has stopped focusing on itself and is instead focused on God. A broken heart is one that would see God's name honored rather than itself honored. It would see God's name honored honored and see itself shamed. Look at the very first sentence in the title to Psalm 51, to the chief musician. Now likely this is a reference here to him that was leading public worship, the public worship of the people. And David is committing this psalm to be sung in the service of the church as a public record of his sin and his repentance. David, the king of Israel, is committing this psalm to the entire nation of Israel as a public record of his own sin. And a public record of his own repentance. Matthew Henry, speaking of this, says this, a profession of David's own repentance, which he would, the psalm rather, is a profession of David's own repentance which he would have, which would have to be generally taken notice of, his sin having been notorious, that the plaster might be as wide as the wound. Those that truly repent of their sins will not be ashamed of their own repentance, but having lost the honor of innocence, would rather gain the honor of penitence. And I would add they would covet the honor of God more than they would covet their own honor. When we as the people of God, when we break the law of God, we tarnish the name of God. And that should give us great occasion to sorrow. And that should be more important to us than whatever our perceived social standing may be. Let us heed the words of the prophet Nathan to David. By this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. May we not give occasion to God's enemies to blaspheme his name. Secondly, the second evidence of a broken heart or the, the response of a broken heart to God. A broken heart is one that realizes there is nothing it can do to appease the wrath of a just God. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. 
Again, quoting from Matthew Henry, he writes this, when David is convinced of his sin, he does not offer to balance his evil deeds with his good deeds, nor can he think that his services will atone for his offenses. But he flies to God's infinite mercy and depends upon that only for pardon and peace. Have mercy upon me, O God. He owns himself obnoxious to God's justice and therefore casts himself upon his mercy. And it is certain that the best man in the world will be undone if God is not merciful to us. A broken heart realizes there is nothing in itself that can offer to God, flies to his mercy, and begs for God to have mercy. For it knows that there is nothing else it may do. Third, a broken heart is a trusting heart. Look at the second phrase in verse 1. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? According to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. A broken heart is a heart that understands and believes the promises of God, that understands and believes that God is a God who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But the broken heart clings to the promises that God clings to the promises of God for his people, trusting that he is also a God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and praise God that it is so. Fourth, the, the fourth response of a broken heart, the fourth evidence of a broken heart, is that a broken heart is appointed, is pointed immediately to Christ. David here cries out, blot out my transgressions. And some translations say, put away my transgressions. Well, God puts away our transgressions because he put them on his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. God, who will by no means clear the guilty, instead pronounced his, his own son guilty for us on our behalf. And may our hearts be pointed to that continually. Fifth, the fifth response of a broken heart. As a broken heart is one that comes into agreement with God. Look at verses three and four. David says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David here offers no excuses for his sins. Instead, he says, Yes, Lord, yes, I have transgressed your law. You laid down the line, and I willfully crossed it. I acknowledge this. 
Yes, Lord, I've become bent and perverse. That word iniquity there. It's the sense of being just bent by sin. Yes, Lord, I have intentionally missed the mark. I knew the target that you gave me and I didn't care. I intentionally shot at something else. That is that, that sense of sin. Against you, I have done this evil. I have offended a holy and just God. And you are just in speaking against me. A broken heart affirms that God is just in sentencing us, offers no excuses to God. A broken heart, one that affirms that God is just, is enabled to respond to God in joy when he does not sentence us according to his justice. Sixth, the sixth response or evidence of a broken heart is a broken heart is one that sorrows over its sin and it sorrows over its owner's condition. Verse five here, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now David here is speaking of original sin, lamenting the fact, I believe, lamenting the fact that he has been born into it, that he is born a sinner. And it is appropriate, I believe, to lament the fact that we are sinners, not to offer an excuse for sin, but as a further strike against our pride, as a warning against toying with sin, and as a means of yearning after being conformed to the image of Christ. For is not that what we groan for, to be conformed to the image of the Son of God? When we would lament over our condition, the fact that we are born sinners, it helps us to cling to the hope and the promise that we have in the resurrection. When all sin is wiped away, every tear is wiped from every eye. And we have a renewed, sinless relationship with our Maker. Even so, come Lord Jesus quickly. Seventh, the seven heart response to God, the seven evidence of a broken heart. As a broken heart decries falsehood and rejects a false peace. Verse six, behold, you desire truth and in, in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Now, a broken heart is one that recognizes and affirms that God is the author of truth and wishes to be conformed to that truth. It does not wish to conform the word of God to itself. It wishes itself to be conformed to the truth of the word of God. As it says in Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And again, in the prophet Jeremiah, from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Do you want peace with God? 
Do you want true peace or do you want a false peace? Now, a heart that is completely broken does not wish only to be partially healed, but rather completely and fully healed, and that according to the truth of God's Word. So let, our, let us submit ourselves to the truth of the Word of God in brokenness and in humility. Eighth, the eighth evidence or response I see of a broken heart here in our text is that a broken heart is one that desires to be restored to God. And that language of restoration is all throughout this psalm, specifically in the first nine verses. I'll read a few of those to you. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that your bones, the bones which you have broken, may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. You see, a broken heart cries out to God, please erase the debt. Erase the debt that is stands against me, for I cannot stand against that. For if you would remember my transgressions, O Lord, who could stand in your presence? Please erase the debt. But don't stop there. For a broken heart is one that realizes that sin is offensive to God. It is offensive to a holy God and makes us unfit to be in his presence. And a broken heart yearns for the presence of God. Matthew Henry again, he writes this, Sin defiles us, renders us odious in the sight of a holy God and uneasy to ourselves. It unfits us for communion with God in grace and glory. A broken heart realizes that our sin separates us from God and makes us unfit to be in his presence. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated, separated between you and your God, and your, your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. May the Lord God not hide his face from us. May he not stop up his ear that he will not hear. A heart defiled by sin is thoroughly unfit and incapable of cleaning itself. And therefore must cry out to God to do the cleansing. And praise God that it is he who does so. Praise God that God not only pardons our sin, but it is he also who cleanses us from it so that we become acceptable to him that he is the one that returns us to his presence. He's the one that breaks our heart. He's the one that, that creates in us the desire, the yearning to be in his own presence, that opens our eyes to our utter inability to come before him, our utter filthiness, that motivates us to cry out to him, and then he is the one that takes us and cleans us. He is the one that washes us. What a joyful and 
wonderful thing that is. What a good God that we serve. That we who are our are, are refuse, that, that are our are, um, filth in his eyes, that, that is literally a stench in his nostrils, that he takes us and cleanses us and gives us the joy of being in his presence. Praise the Lord. Ninth to the ninth, heart response to God, the ninth uh, uh, element, evidence of a broken heart. So a broken heart not only desires this restoration, desires to be in the presence of a loving, holy God, desires the joy of, of, of coming into his presence, not only desires this restitution of relationship, but also desires transformation. The broken heart cries out to God, cleanse me, Lord, but yes, though you cleanse me, yes, though you cleanse me, here I am on the precipice ready again to jump into the mire. Lord, create instead a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart, do a work inside of me I would desire to cast off the filth. I would desire instead to be clean in your presence. Now the word here translated create um, is an interesting one. The Hebrew, it is a Hebrew word that is uh, only ever used in scripture in conjunction with an action of God. And as a particular kind of creation, the meaning it conveys is, is uh, creating something out of nothing. It is the kind of creation that something is made from nothing. And it is only God that can make something from nothing. And David here is affirming that his heart must be made completely new. That it is only God that can do this work, that he must take something that is nothing and create something with it. Let us have hearts of God, have hearts for God that desire him to do that transformative work and affirm that it's he alone that can do it. Finally, tenth, our tenth uh, response of a broken heart. As a broken heart responds in joy and service and worship, and I would also say repentance. Now this is not a, a message primarily on repentance, but you need to understand that it is a necessary and appropriate response to God breaking our hearts. And we understand repentance to be that which um, turning away from our sin, turning away from ourselves, complete 180 degree and turning towards God. And again, this, the focus of this message isn't specifically on that. But it is important and you know, Vodi Bauckham, he has an interesting analogy here talking about um, when we are on the highway of our sin, we're on the highway towards ourself, the highway away from God. You know, we're headed towards hell, we're headed as far away from God as we can. And repentance is the complete 180 degree turn, right? We turn away from our sin, turn away from ourselves, and turn towards God. And he says, a broken heart is the off ramp. 
A broken heart is the off-ramp from the highway of ourselves to where we're able to do that 180 degree and return towards God. And we have that when God graciously offers us that. We should respond in joy and service and worship to him. A broken heart is one that sees plainly its great wickedness and manifold sins. And it can return and respond with joy over God's great faithfulness and manifold mercies. It is only through a broken heart, it is only a heart broken of serving itself that we are able to serve God fully. It is only a heart broken of worshiping itself that we are able to worship God freely. It is only a heart broken of seeking to honor itself and the seeking to receive proclamations to itself that we are able to proclaim the name of God openly and joyfully. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And what a joyful thing to be able to say to your neighbor, to one another, not just uh, as, as a form of evangelism, yes, but to just stir one another up. What a beautiful thing it is to say, you know, God did a wonderful thing for me today. He forgave me my sin. He erased the debt. He took me, he was dirty and cleaned me. He restored me to himself and he transformed my heart. May it be so, may it be so in each of our lives. Well, we have seen so far our great need of a broken heart. And we have seen out of our text 10 measures of a broken heart. And you know, brokenheartedness, it may sound painful to you. Um, I'm reminded of the, um, the John, John Bunyan quote I mentioned earlier. Fire to the bones, the taking of moisture, the breaking. It is a painful thing. And as a man, as a man is loath to have his arm broken and set aright, unless you're able to give him perhaps uh, some benefit of it, a good reason for it, so we in our sin are loath to have our hearts broken. But I would like to offer you some great goods, some great benefits of a broken heart. What good comes from a broken heart? A great many things. We'll look at four. The first great good that comes from a broken heart, the first of its great benefits is right here in our text. A broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. And if God does not despise a broken heart, then truly he must esteem and cherish it. And what a thing to be cherished 
by our Creator, to be cherished by a holy God. And we have, have spoken much this morning about things which are not acceptable to the Lord. A proud spirit, our own works of righteousness, our own works righteousness, etc. What a comfort to know then, to have this assurance that a heart rightly broken truly is a thing esteemed and cherished by him. Even cherished above all other created things. Out of Isaiah, the Lord says this, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, says the Lord. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look. On this one I will look. He who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Of this passage, John Bunyan says this, A broken-hearted sinner, a sinner with a contrite spirit, is of more esteem with God than is either heaven or earth. He saith he hath made them, but he doth not say that he will look to them. He saith that they are his throne and footstool, but he does not say that they have taken his heart. No, it is those that are of contrite spirit do this. But there is yet more in the words, to this man I will look, that is that. For this man I will care, for this man I will encamp. I will put this man under my protection. The brokenhearted God esteems, God looks to, and God encamps around. And what a wonderful thing. Just that word picture of a holy in God who is above everything, the creator, a heart that is brought low to him, he comes down and encamps around that heart. Again, the, the, the picture of, of him lifting us up, us up into his presence, he's also not too proud and lofty to come down and encamp around a broken-hearted sinner. Again, what a kind and good and gracious, merciful Heavenly Father that we have. The second benefit to the great good of a broken heart is that God the Father has appointed Christ himself to care for it. God has appointed Christ our Lord to care for the broken heart. In Luke chapter 4, read this account. I'll turn to it. It's Luke 4, starting in verse 16. This is speaking of Jesus. It says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Lord, may we fix our eyes on you daily. All eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah has come to heal the brokenhearted. So if you are still afraid of having your heart broken by God for fear of pain, consider with what great a physician your heart has been entrusted. Christ was sent to heal the brokenhearted, and who better do we have to entrust this work to? Just as an earthly physician binds up a broken bone so that it will heal the stronger, so Christ in his mercy binds up a broken heart so that it will heal the stronger in faith. Just as the earthly physician sets a broken limb to ease the pain, so Christ eases the pain of our brokenness with the security of our standing in him. The security of knowing that it is he who has given us eternal life and never shall we perish and never will anyone snatch us from his hand. Praise God. Now the third benefit, a great good of a broken heart that I would like to mention, is that it keeps our hearts humble and soft. And when our hearts are humble and soft, they are more easily directed in the way of Christ and more easily molded into the image of Christ. And is that not what we yearn for, to be molded to the image of Christ? The image of the very Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. To be molded and to be built by God. To be built by God. You know, God always takes pleasure in that which he builds. I'd like to read... Uh, not terribly lengthy, but a passage out of Isaiah 44. You may turn there if you wish. Isaiah 44, starting in chapter 21. And this is the Lord speaking. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant. O God, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward 
and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant, performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Praise God that he's the one who has said to us, you shall be inhabited by me, by my Holy Spirit. You shall be built by me, by my own hands. He has said, I will raise you up, for I have redeemed you, I have blotted out all your transgressions, I have claimed you, and I will build you up. May God be our builder. Now, I do have one final great benefit and great good of a broken heart that I would like to mention. But before we close, let us just briefly pause and remember where we've come. Remember our great need of a broken heart. That without it, we are destroyed. That without it, we cannot approach God. We cannot hope to please God. Let us remember the measures of a broken heart that we have looked at, our responses to God, that a broken heart is more concerned with the honor of God than its own. A broken heart realizes that it has nothing that it can bring to God in and of itself, and therefore casts itself, out, itself on God's mercy, trusting not in itself but in the promises of God. Let us remember that a broken heart comes into agreement with God's righteous judgments sorrows over its own sins, rejects any superficial healing, and instead desires true restoration and transformation from God, and responds in repentance and joy, worship, praise, and service to a loving Heavenly Father. Let us remember the great benefits that we have of a broken heart. That a broken heart is one that is truly cherished and esteemed by God that is truly valued by God, such that it is given to Christ, that Christ is the one who keeps it and binds it up, that we may be further molded into his own image. And finally, let us know this great benefit, that it is by the means of a broken heart that we enter the joy of our relationship with our Creator and Redeemer. David says here in the psalm, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because you see, it, it's a sad thing. But you see, we can have the salvation without the joy. And this is especially true when we are living in unconfessed sin. So brothers and sisters, if you know that you have some sin that is burdening you, that has offended a holy God that has made you unclean, that is hampering an open relationship with Christ, keeping you from loving Christ as you should, from serving Christ as you should, from worshiping him as you should, know that your Lord and your creator willfully hung on the tree for that sin. 
He died for that sin. But not just that you would be spared the punishment for it. That is a wonderful thing to be spared. Not just to spare you the punishment for it, but that also you may have the joy of your salvation. You may have the joy of being redeemed to your creator. Christ died not just so that you would not receive punishment, but he died for that sin to redeem you out of that sin. And he who died for us, will he not also freely give us all things? Will he not freely cleanse us from that filth? Will he not freely restore us to himself? Will he not freely restore in us a clean heart and a steadfast spirit? So let us be broken over our sin. Be broken over your sin. Be restored to your creator and receive the joy of Christ. For therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And let us cling to the promise that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. Let us pray. Father God, please forgive us of our sin. Please break us over it. Please restore to us the joy of your salvation that we may praise you, worship you, and serve you as we ought. For here you are, your servants. You've said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Lord God. Help us to love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.